Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're continuing in our series, again, called The Book of Acts, and uh, we left off last week in Acts chapter 11, and the book of Acts is really a series that we're looking at the history of the church. We're looking at what the church was like when it, when it began, from its inception on the day of Pentecost to many, many years within the church. We're looking at this story, this, this historical account, if you will, of what the church was supposed to be like. Why? Why or what it was like. Why are we doing that? Because in seeing what it was like, we get to see what we're supposed to be like. There's things that you're going to learn from these stories that you go, man, I, this is how I need to live my life. This is what the church needs to be like today. And so that's why we're doing this. So again, we left off in Acts chapter 11 with the story of the apostle Peter. He had just preached to Cornelius, who was a Gentile man, and, and the Holy Spirit moved and fell on them, and they began praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, and, and God really moved and opened up a brand new horizon for the church. Now, Peter got in a little bit of trouble because of that, because the Jewish Christians at the time in Jerusalem, when they heard that Peter had gone to eat with this Gentile, they were pretty upset. They were very upset because they were living in such strict religious rules. They, they weren't open to the Gentiles receiving the gospel yet, but that was God's plan all along. And because Peter was willing to obey Jesus, a brand new horizon opened. And that was the horizon of the entire world receiving and getting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we're going to continue in the book of Acts chapter 12 today, following up that story. And of course, we talked about um, the church in Antioch, and that, that became a, a, a huge uh, piece of the pie, if you will, huge piece of the puzzle in how the gospel spread all over the world. It was one of the leading churches at the time. But you're going to see even in this chapter, the page turning a little bit. Because up until this point, Peter has been probably the most dominant figure in the book of Acts. But from this chapter on, the most dominant figure in the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul. And we're going to talk about that transition in weeks to come and how that happened. But nonetheless, Peter was a dominant figure, at, and excuse me, Paul was a dominant figure, but the main figure in the book is Jesus Christ. Because it's all about him, and we're going to talk about that this morning as well. But let's dive right into this, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm going to lay some foundation, some ground rules for you, give you some history before I get to the, the heartbeat of what I'm talking about this morning. About this time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. Now there we have that word again, and we've talked about that a lot in the last few weeks, the word Persecution. Let me let you know something about persecution. Whenever there's gross darkness and the light shows up, that light makes the darkness uncomfortable. That light causes the darkness to react. When the gospel is being preached and it's being preached the right way, there will be some forms of persecution that come. Man, this is a real encouraging message right out the gate, Pastor. But it's the truth. 
When the gospel is preached properly and correctly, there will be forms of persecution. And that persecution can be anything from being made fun of and mocked by some people to in many cases all over the world, even today, death. That's the type of persecution that comes when the gospel is preached. And we see this man in the Bible named Herod persecuting the church. Now, let me stop right here and tell you a little bit about this guy, Herod. So Herod, you're going to see the name Herod all throughout the book of Acts. You see the name Herod in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see that name Herod a whole lot. But it's not the same person. It's not the same man. That name Herod is very similar to the name Caesar, right? There was an actual Caesar who, who started the Caesars, the kings or the rulers of Rome. And then from, there, from him, the first Caesar, that name Caesar became more of a dynasty name. Now, not, not the TV show dynasty for all of you who were born back and lived in the 80s. Not that kind of dynasty name. But they were rulers. And Herod was the same. That, the name Herod was the same thing. So there was a Herod the Great who was the first Herod. And his children were also given the title Herod. Because they, they were rulers of lands, but they all had different names. You had Herod Agrippa. You had Herod Agrippa II. Herod Antipas. You had all of these different Herods, but they all stem back from the very first Herod, Herod the Great. Now, let me talk about this man, Herod the Great, for a moment. Because this is the Herod that you see in the Gospels. This is the Herod that when Jesus was born... He was so insecure and so scared that Jesus was going to come, that this Messiah that had been prophesied, this king that had been prophesied would come and take the kingdom away from him. He was so insecure that he had every two-year-old and under baby boy killed in Bethlehem because he was told that that king was going to come from Bethlehem. And of course it did. He did. Jesus did come from Bethlehem, but he had all of those babies murdered. They call him Herod the Great because he was great in certain areas like architecture. If you go to Israel even today, there are still things that Herod the Great built that stand today. If you've ever seen videos of the Jewish people standing in front of what they call the Wailing Wall, crying, right, and praying, that the Wailing Wall was built by Herod the Great. But he was anything but great. He was insane. He was crazy. Not only did he kill two-year-olds and under, when he, before Herod the Great died, when he knew he was dying, he had his leaders, he had the, the police, if you will, of that day, gather up some of the notable people in Jerusalem and put them in prison so that when he died, he could have them executed as well because he knew no one would cry the day he died and he wanted there to be mourning in Jerusalem. So when he died, he had them killed so that the people wept. That's how sick this man was. He killed his wives. He killed his children. As a matter of fact, there's a pastor that I respect. His name is Skip Heitzig. He said there was a saying back then that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. He was that insecure. He was that insane. He killed anyone who got in his way. This man, Herod, he killed, at one point, he killed one of his wives named Miriam and her son, Artabellus. Everybody say Artabellus. How many of you thought you had a weird name until you heard Artabellus? 
He killed his son, and he killed his son Haribelus and his wife Miriam because he suspected that they were against him. Now, before Artabelus died, he had a son named Agrippa, who eventually became King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. That's the man we find in this story. How many of you thought you had a jacked up family? That's King Agrippa's past, Herod Agrippa's lineage. So we see this King King Agrippa, not only is he persecuting Christians, but he just did the unthinkable. He killed one of the apostles. He killed one of the 12 men who actually walked with Jesus on the earth. He did what many of us would think, that's impossible. Now, James was the brother of John. You're going to see multiple Jameses in the Bible. And again, I'm laying the foundation here. But there were multiple Jameses in the gospel in the New Testament. Now, this James was one of the 12 who followed Jesus when Jesus' earthly ministry was here. He was the brother of John, John the beloved apostle. Now, this James was the same James who had his mom go to Jesus and, ha- and asked Jesus if Jesus would make her sons, James and John, would put them on his right side and his left side when he entered into his kingdom. If you're being honest, moms, how many of y'all would have done that? Tell the truth, you're in church, you'll go straight to hell if you lie in church. I remember hearing a while, it was kind of a little joke about moms. Moms, their son could be in jail on the witness, or excuse me, on the stand in trial for murder. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. Mom, I did it. Shut up. He didn't do it. (laughs) So this mom goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I want my boys to be on your right side and your left side when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says, he didn't even, he didn't even address her. He goes right to them because he knows what the source is. And he says, do you know what you're asking for? Can you be baptized in the baptism that I'm getting ready to be baptized? And in other words, can you suffer what I'm about to suffer? And they say, yes, we can. And Jesus said, then you definitely will. You definitely will. I don't think he was saying that as a judgment for them saying that. Jesus knew what was going to come. And sure enough, that James who asked Jesus for that became the very first martyr, the very first apostle martyr in the Bible. Stephen was the first martyr, but this was the first of all of the apostles who was martyred for the gospel. And Jesus knew that that was going to happen. Verse 3, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. Then took, excuse me, this took place during the Passover celebration. So here's this wicked king who just killed one of God's servants, literally an apostle, one of the leaders of the church. And if I'm in the church at that time, I'm thinking, how can this happen? How can this be? Why would this wicked man be given such authority, not only the authority over the land, but the authority to kill one of God's main leaders in the body? How could this happen? He was able to do what seemed to be impossible, and he even went after Peter, who at the time was probably the the most famous of all of the apostles, leaving the church to feel disillusioned, leaving the church to feel like many of you feel in the room that they got Why is this happening? God, how did this happen? How did it get to this place? And at times, if we're being honest, it almost feels like God's not in control. It almost feels like 
God's not hearing our prayers. Lord, what's going on in the world today? God, how could I lose that person that I love so much? God, how could that happen? God, I I, I prayed for that to happen. Why did it not happen? We can almost get to this place where we get this pit in our stomach that's begging the question, this can't be. How did this happen? God is not supposed to work out this way. This was one of your 12 men. This was, this was one of the people who were, they were teaching, he was teaching us how to follow you because they followed you for three years of his life in person. How could this happen? They weren't expecting it. And for him to die at the hands of a wicked man, a wicked politician. And this politician, let me just tell you, this man was willing to kill one of God's men, and fight against God all for the praise of people. He was so insecure, he needed the praise of people, so he was willing to get rid of God's people so that he could receive praise from people. What a horrible place to be in. And I'm not talking about James because James got the sweet end of the deal. James went to heaven. James went right back to the presence of Jesus that he was so accustomed to for three years, but now in glory. So I'm not sad for James, I'm talking about Herod. Because he lived his life trying to get the praise of people. And for those of you who would ask, why would he do that? Let me ask you the question, why do you? Why are we so willing to compromise who God made us and what God made us to be and what he said in his word, all for the praise of people who may or may not even like us tomorrow? There are times when we're willing to compromise God's word because we need somebody else's attaboy. Or we need somebody to say, you're one of us and include us in the group and meet some kind of need that we feel like we have to have, a void that really only God himself can fill in your life. Some of you are so desperately looking for acceptance from people that you don't realize the only place that you're ever going to really find that acceptance is when you get it from your Father in heaven. It's the only place. This man was a king. This man had great power, but he was a slave to the approval of people. He was a slave to what other people thought about him. Now, church, I'm going to make some of you mad this morning, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Because this is truth that needs to be spoken, and I'm saying it because I love you, and I'm saying it because it's truth. But you need to hear this. We live in this world. We are not of this world. We live in this world. We are not of this world. What does that mean? It means that it doesn't matter who your precious political party is. It doesn't matter about your precious Republicans or your precious Democrats or even if we have some libertarians in the room, you're included in this as well. That doesn't matter. I'm not here, and you as a part of God's kingdom, we are not here to align with a political party. We align with the name of Jesus and his kingdom being spread in the earth. That's who we align with. My job is not to make any party known. My job is to make the name of Jesus known. That's what we as a part of God's kingdom are all about. And if that rubs you the wrong way, good, you need to hear that. Because you are supposed, your first allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not to the parties of men. 
Men whose agendas are pride, greed, murder of innocent lives, government control, sexual immorality. And by the way, I'm talking about both of them. Both of those parties. It's sin and it's wrong. And our job as a part of the church is to stand up and speak truth. Not agenda truth. Not what your favorite news channel tells you is truth. What the word of God says is true. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our Lord. And here's the truth. There's going to be times when if Jesus is the king of your life, it's going to feel like you're on the losing team. I believe that's where the church found themselves. There's going to be times when it feels like you're on the losing team. But just because you haven't seen the victory yet doesn't mean that it's not coming. Because the victory is coming. Jesus does not lose. That is not what he does. I love the way that I. Howard Marshall wrote. He said this. He said, those who set themselves up against God ultimately perish. Anyone who sets themselves up against the knowledge of God will ultimately perish. Now, King Herod had just killed James. Now he's going after Peter. This is what verse 4 says. Then he imprisoned him, talking about Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. He put 16 different men in charge of keeping Peter in jail. Why did he do that? Because as we read in the past of the book of Acts, Peter was known for getting out of prison. God was constantly getting him out of that trouble, constantly getting. So Herod said, you know what? I'm going to put four different squads of four different people on him for 24 hours a day. So there were guards that literally were on six-hour shifts, four men, and then the next four men, then the next four men, then the next four men for 24 hours straight. And what happened is Peter was chained in between two of those guards, and there were two other guards that were keeping watch. So there Peter sat there in two chains. And I almost named this title, I almost named this message Two Chains, but I don't think I can get away with it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But he sat there in between these two, these two guards. And something interesting I found in this chapter is that there are two chains. There's also a transition from one apostle to another apostle, two apostles. You're going to see two different encounters with angels in this, in this chapter. You're also going to see a battle between two kings. But it all summarizes with this. There can only be one king. And by the time we get to the end of this chapter, you're going to see this. Now, I also want you to notice that they were waiting for the Passover in order to execute Peter because it was illegal for the Jewish people to kill someone or to, to put someone to death, capital punishment, during a celebration like the Passover. Or you may be going, Pastor, wait a minute. Didn't they kill Jesus at that time? They did. They broke the law in order to kill Jesus. Verse 5. But... While Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, let me get to this question because I'm, so, I'm sure it's a question that they were probably asking themselves the same way some of you are asking as you read this story. Pastor, why pray? Why pray? 
Because I'm sure they prayed for James and James still died. And there's times where it doesn't seem like God is answering our prayers. And there, there are moments where it feels like God's not answering your prayers. Can I be honest in church this morning? Can I just, can I be honest with you? I think we've all at times had those moments where we felt disappointed and we felt like, God, I'm not sure what's going on. God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Let me help you with something. God will always answer your prayer, but the answer is not always yes. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is they will be healed, but they will be healed in eternity. And sometimes the answer is downright no. And I thank God for those moments when he gives us a no. Some of you, when you were teenagers, think back to those days when you asked God, God, please let me marry them. And now you go back on Facebook and you see him and you thank God that he didn't answer that prayer. (laughs) Jesus, thank you. (laughs) Dodged a bullet on that one. They were praying. And it didn't seem like God answered their prayers, but he did. Let me say this. I'm glad he didn't. Because there's a quote that says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What do I mean by that? It was the martyrs, those who were willing to lay their lives down, who paved the way for the gospel to be spread all over the world. You are here because of those martyrs. You are here because of men like James who laid their lives down for the sake of the gospel. Thank God that God answered that prayer. No. But nonetheless, they find themselves going, How do I, why, do I, why should I pray? Why should I keep praying? Listen to me, church. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are effective. Your prayers are needed. Please don't stop praying. I know some of you may be discouraged. Don't stop praying. Some of you are on cloud nine and God is moving in your life. Don't stop praying. Whatever the circumstance is, don't stop praying. As a matter of fact, pray for me. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your church. Pray for our families. Your prayers are needed. Why? Because we're doing spiritual warfare. The building of the kingdom, we're not building a a company. We're not building some kind of fun club that people come to and hang out on Sundays. We are building the kingdom of God in the enemy's territory. We are doing spiritual warfare in battle. We are taking back the ground of God's kingdom from the enemy. You better believe there's warfare attached to that. And for some of you, that's a new concept to even think about, but it's the truth. And our weapon, one of our most powerful weapons, is prayer. That's why I need your prayers. That's why our family needs your prayers. That's why our church needs your prayers. Some of you don't know this, but during spiritual warfare, and Pastor Randy could attest to this, during spiritual renewal, excuse me, there was tons of spiritual warfare leading into this. But guess what? We still had the victory. We still finished it with the victory because Jesus only wins. But for you, Pastor, why pray? Because your prayers are powerful. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen to this, don't miss this. Look up here. As a matter of fact, look up here. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The effective prayer, excuse me, the the, uh, earnest prayers of a righteous person has what? That's not a trick question. Has what? 
I'm going to ask that again. Has what? Thank you. And produces wonderful results. Your prayers have great power. Your prayers produce results. Don't give up on your prayers. Some of you are right on the edge of a breakthrough. Stay with it. Some of you are tempted to give up. Don't give up. Press in. God is sovereign. But God moves in accordance with the prayers of his people. God's will is fulfilled in the earth through the intercession of his people, the prayers of his people. When he partners with you to accomplish his will in the earth, God is still sovereign. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But he is always working for your good if you love him and for the building of his kingdom. That's what he's doing. That's how he's working. Even when it looks like the bad guy is winning, God's still in control. And we're going to see that by the end of this chapter. Pastor, aren't you afraid of all the things happening in the world today? Aren't you afraid of the the government and the nation and the young people? Not really. I'm not. Because everything that we're facing, there's nothing new that we're facing that the church hasn't already faced. There's nothing new that the church today is facing that the church has not already faced and defeated. Because our king is king. As a matter of fact, some of the things that we're, we're so nervous about and afraid now of has been going on in our lifetime in other nations. Think about churches like China, where if they come out, if they have a Bible in, in public, they could be killed. But yet they have what's called the underground church that is one of the largest churches and most passionate churches in the world today. The church is still thriving. God's kingdom is still spreading no matter what's going on around them. God, God's never out of control. He's always in control. Y'all with me this morning? Let's go back to the book, the book of Acts chapter 6. I mean chapter 12 verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep fastened with two chains, there it is again, between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a light, a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Now here's Peter asleep and this angel shows up. Now why did the angel show up? Because God's people were praying. Because God's people were interceding for Peter. That's why. And God moved on their behalf. God moved according to their prayers. And God moved according to his will. Jesus had already told Peter that Peter was going to live to be an old man. And he did. That was the will of God that those people prayed in and agreed with God's will and brought to pass. But very important, I want you to remember this. Say this with me. Say the angel... There's about five of y'all who are actually paying attention to what I'm saying. Say this with me. Say, the angel struck him. Remember that because it's very important. I'm going to bring that up later. The angel struck him. Verse 8, then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, followed the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. The thing I like about Peter is Peter's the real deal. 
Peter's real. One minute, Peter is literally God's using him, his shadow to heal people. He's calling out sorcerers, telling them to repent. The next minute, he's half asleep following an angel around and he thinks it's a dream. He just, I mean, Peter gives us hope. Peter helps us know, hey, there's no such thing as you, you're the Mr. Smooth, Mr. Cool. No, Peter, Peter wasn't perfect, but he loved Jesus. And he was willing to follow God with his life. So here's Peter. He's following this angel around. Verse 10, they passed the first and, and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. Let me stop right there. Prayers can open doors in your life that you doing it can never open. The prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people. When I say the saints, I'm not talking about those who are dead and gone. I'm talking about you. You are the saints, the people of God. Your prayers can open doors that us in our own strength could never open. That's why it's when, when we try to manipulate circumstances and we try to make things happen, sometimes it's the grace of God who goes, guess what? I'm not opening that door because you're trying to do it in your own strength. You're trying to make that happen. And I'm going to show you that I alone can open that door. But there's so much more that can be done when you take a step back and you go, God, I trust you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to trust you're going to open that door. Let's keep going. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It is really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. It finally dawns on Peter. I'm actually free. How many of you have ever had that moment when you realize, wait a minute, God just did that for me. God just... I pray God actually just did that for me. Peter couldn't believe it, but guess what? Neither could the people who prayed it. As our story continues to show us, verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. This man, John Mark, will play a big role in the rest of the book of Acts. I want you to see this in good ways and in bad ways. As a matter of fact, John Mark is the man who wrote the gospel of Mark. He was also Barnabas' cousin. And later on, we're going to see the bad part of John's story, John Mark's story. Verse 13, he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she realized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter standing at the door. <laughs> if I'm Peter, I'd have been standing there going, uh, baby girl, I'm excited too, but can you please open the door? I'd like to get in. She left them standing out there. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided this must be his angel. I want you to hear how full of faith these people were. I want you to hear the faith giants that these people were. God, please rescue Peter. That ain't Peter. They even started coming up with weird theology. That must be his angel. For me, that just goes to show you something. Don't get me wrong. Your faith is vitally important to your prayer life. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. But there are some moments we pray out of just desperation and God honors it. There are moments we just pray out of sheer God, will you please? And God honors it like he did in this story. Verse 16, 
Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. And I'm going to come right back to that in a moment. But some of you may say, wait a minute, James, I thought, Pastor Gabe, I thought you just said James was dead. He was. This is a different James. The James, the apostle that was killed was James, the brother of John. This James is James, the brother of Jesus, who did not even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he was risen from the dead. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, risen from the dead, showed up to his brother James. And James, in that moment, became a follower of Jesus. He became a disciple. And he later on became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, many scholars believe. He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So we see this moment that I talked about earlier happen, this turning of the page. Because at this point, Peter has been the central figure. He's been the main person talked about in the book of Acts. But from this moment on, we only hear about Peter one more time in this book. All of the attention shifts to the Apostle Paul. All, of course, for the glory of Jesus, but all the attention goes there. And listen how it ends. It says, and then he went to another place. That's it. All of the stories, the miracles, preaching of the first gospel, all, I mean, like the beginning of the church, the calling out, the mere, all of those things, it all, it ends with, then he went to another place. Why am I telling you this? Because the kingdom of God moves forward. The kingdom of God moves on. We should always be asking ourselves the question, what is next? And God, not only what's next, who's next? The kingdom of heaven, listen to me, look up here. The kingdom of God is not about you. It is not about, it's not for you. We should always be thinking, God, what do you want? How are you wanting to build your kingdom? Who can I invest my life in next? God, who can I raise up in the kingdom to help carry this thing forward? I've asked some of the older, some of our older leaders in our church, I've asked you this question before. What do you want our Savior Church, Bruce Art Campus, to look like in 20 years? 20 years from now, what do you want it to look like? Because how you invest in the, the, this generation of leaders is a direct reflection on what it's going to look like in 20 years. You've got to invest your life. And some of you may be going, Pastor, I don't know about this. I need to feel led. Here's a pencil. Come feel it. Come feel led. Because you're waiting on something. You're waiting on a feeling. You're waiting to, to feel motivated to do something or feel called to do something that Jesus has already told us to do. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, go into all of the world and make disciples. That is our call. We shouldn't have to wait for somebody to ask us to do that. Jesus has already asked us to do that. If you are a follower of Christ, we should always be thinking, who's next? That doesn't just mean who's younger than you. That means who can I pass the kingdom on to so that they can pass the kingdom on, so that they can pass the kingdom on. That is how the kingdom spreads. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's never been about you. Verse 18 
At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, listen to this, Herod investigated the guards and sentenced them to death. After what Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. This same story was good news for Peter and horrible news for those guards. What am I saying? Favor ain't fair. Favor ain't fair. When you're in God's kingdom and he loves you and he's for you, God will, God, things will look unfair to those around you because God has favored you. And here's the thing, I'm sitting here telling you it's not about you because your attention needs to be on others so that God's attention can be on you. God takes care of you when you're taking care of others. Are y'all with me? This king looked like he had complete control. Herod looked like he, that he had all of the power that he needed. He can put people to death at will. He could kill apostles at will. But Herod, was, who was a king, was getting ready to learn a very valuable lesson that there is only one king of kings. Verse 20. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's, excuse me, Herod's personal assistant. So here's this nation, here, here are these, these two nations, or these two communities rather, Tyre and Sidon, who they were dependent. They knew Herod was mad at them and they were dependent on him to provide for them. So they start kissing butt. They start kissing up to Herod. And, they, and he's, he's getting all the attention that he needs because he knows they're dependent on him. So they need him, but even more sad than that is he needs them. He needs their praises in order to feel significant. Story continues, verse 21. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, it is the voice of a God, not a man. These people were kissing up to Herod, and he was receiving their praise because he was so insecure that he needed it. This was the same man who was willing to kill James, persecute the church, do all of those things to fill this void of insecurity in his life. There was a historian, a Roman historian named Josephus who wrote about historical accounts of things that happened in the Bible. He says this about this very day that we're reading about in Herod's life. Said that Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a truly wonderful contexture. So in other words, Herod shows up to this place dressed like Elton John. And he gives this big speech to all of these people. And they're just, Herod, you're the man. You're the man. And he's sitting there taking it. And then they even go as far as to say, yours is the voice of a God. And they give to him something that should only be given to God. And he receives something that should only be given to God. And he learns a very valuable lesson for doing that. I've said this before in this series and I say it again. We are men. We don't take, we don't receive what only God deserves. This is what happened to this man. Verse 23, instantly. 
An angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Because he received that praise, an angel killed him. Talk about the fear of the Lord. Yes, we love God, but we fear God as well. Because he's a sovereign ruler and he's the king of kings. So when I poke pride at, at our politics and those things, I never want us to put a person in the place that God should be in. And remember earlier in this book, when I had you remember how the angel struck Peter? Because on one hand, you had an angel strike Peter to rescue him, but this angel struck Herod to kill him. The difference was their hearts. The difference was who they belonged to, who their king was. Herod's king was himself. Peter's king was Jesus. Now, the Bible says that he was consumed with worms. That doesn't mean he fell dead right there and, the angel, and worms came up from the ground and ate him. This would actually happen, and Josephus talks about this, is on that day, Herod had a tapeworm. That's what some scholars believe. It was a dog tapeworm. And in that moment, when he's sitting there receiving all the praise, God judged him in that moment, and a blood artery or vessel exploded in him, and he was literally bleeding to death internally because of what this worm caused. And he didn't die instantly. History actually tells us that it took five painful days for him to die. Five very agonizing, painful days for him to die. This great king learned one lesson. There's only one king of kings, and his name is Jesus. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. And I love, I love this transition. Because here's all that Herod did. Killed James, persecuted the church, did all of these incredible things, and he became, his ending became one word in the Bible. Meanwhile, what does that go to show? God's kingdom rules. God's kingdom reigns. This man is a footnote in history now to the true king of kings. After all he did, he became meanwhile. Listen to me, despite everything that's happening in the world today and the culture and the, the, all those things, the word of God is still spreading. The kingdom is still spreading. So don't get so caught up in the culture wars. Don't get so caught up in the things that you see on the, on the news. Pastor, are you just sticking your head in the sand? No, not at all. I'm choosing to look at it from a higher perspective. Rather than being right here, I'm looking at it from God's perspective. He has never lost control. And in the end, church, we win. You may be here today, and like, like the church, you're grieving people that you've lost. And you're hurting, and you're wondering, God, why does it seem like all, the, all of these things are happening, and I'm losing people that I love? Listen to me. He's not out of control. He will walk you through the pain that you feel. And if the people that you knew and loved that passed away are in eternity with Jesus right now, guess what? They're not sad. If you're here and you're looking at what's happening in culture and society and the news and all of this stuff and you're nervous and you're scared, he's never lost control. And this is nothing new for him. He's still God all by himself. And in the end, 
we win. When we decide, when will we decide to let God be God and us stop trying to control it by being fearful of it? Let God be God. What am I saying? Same thing I'm just saying multiple times. There's only one King of Kings. And in the end, church, we win. So don't get discouraged. Don't get disappointed. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. Don't stop praying. Don't start, don't start running away. We win if we don't quit. Because the God that we serve is not only the king of the nations of the world, he's defeated death itself. Bible, this chapter ends with this. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. This brand new chapter begins in the church. But this one closes with Jesus as king. In your life today, you need to know that no matter what you're facing, Jesus is king. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, I thank you. You are the sovereign king of the universe. You've never lost the battle. It's not what you do. And I pray for those this morning who've lost heart. I pray for those this morning who feel discouraged. Remind them you are the king of the universe. Church, with your eyes closed and your heads, but I want to do something a little bit different. Pastor Randy, will you come up here? Will you come up, Pastor Randy? Hand me that microphone. I'm going to ask our prayer pastor, Pastor Randy, to pray for you if you're discouraged in your prayer life this morning. But also, if you need healing in your body and you're asking God for that, I'm going to ask Pastor Randy to pray for you. Pastor Randy. How many of you... This is on. How many of you would need a touch for your prayer life? They just say, Pastor Randy, I really need... I need a desire and a passion to pray more. I've been discouraged in my prayer life. I need the Holy Spirit to touch me. If that's you, lift up your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Would you please stand with me? Those of you right there, stand with me. I'm going to pray. Now listen, we're going to pray. How many of you know it's God's will for us to pray? Okay. So watch this. When I pray, I want you to receive. When we pray, Father, I thank you. I receive the spirit of prayer and supplication. I receive the anointing in a greater measure, in a greater degree in my life than I had before. Y'all ready for that? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you all across this room today. Lord, it's no accident. You had me studying and putting down what you've taught me for 40 years about the spirit of prayer. So Father, today, let the grace of God that you've given me to pray for 40 years, let that same grace, that same anointing come upon people throughout this congregation today. Let it flow like a river today. Father, let it come as a booster in their normal Christian life. Let the unction of the Holy Ghost 
come upon them to pray like they've never prayed before. Give them a desire to pray. Let the passion of prayer come. Let a hunger and a desire to pray come like they've never had before. And so, Father, we thank you. Say this with me. I receive the grace of God, the passion of God, the desire to pray. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I surrender to you. Come and pray through me like I've never prayed before. I receive the anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can be seated. Those of you that need a touch in your body today, a touch, I don't care if it's your head, your heart, your body. If that's you today, if you need a touch from God, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Healing's flowing in this place today. If that is you, lift up your hands if you need healing. Okay, I see you. Stand up. This is an act of your faith, if you can. Stand up right where you are. Watch this. Matthew chapter 8 says, listen good. Everybody look up right here for a second. Matthew chapter 8 says this, that Jesus went around about healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. So he's fulfilling, he's doing that to fulfill scripture. Okay? He made a, a complete distinction between sickness and disease. All manner of sickness. Headaches, sinuses, infections, that type of stuff. But disease is what affects your body that hinders a part of your body from functioning properly. Because of that sickness, it became a disease. Okay? So he healed both of that. So I'm I'm telling you this word and giving you this word. I can go all over the word and tell you that. It's God's will to repair even what disease has has damaged and destroyed. It's nothing for, for him. Okay? I want to tell you that. So watch, when we pray, how do we do it? I'm gonna pray the prayer of faith. And you and I, this is how we receive. I believe I receive healing in my body from whatever it is. Right now when we pray, And the Bible says you shall have it. Believe you receive now and you shall have it. Believe that you receive when you pray right now and you shall have it. I remember when God healed me, he healed me of cancer, he healed me of all kinds of things. One time it took two and a half days. I believed I received it when I prayed. Two and a half days later, I was totally healed by the power of God. And I'm not just saying it to make up something. I don't have to, I don't have to impress you. I'm just letting you know what, the, what, what Jesus is doing today. Y'all ready to receive? Watch this. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. The Bible says, 
call for the elders of the church. I'm one of the elders in this church. I'm not going to anoint you with all, but I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. God's going to do it. We pray and God's going to do it. We pray, believe you receive, God's going to do it. Say this with me. I pray, I believe I receive, and God's going to do it. I believe when I pray, I receive it now, I shall have it. God's going to do it. Okay? You ready? Father, in the name of Jesus. Let your healing virtue flow throughout this whole congregation. It is your will to confirm your word with signs and wonders following. You working with us after the word has been taught. Your word has been taught today. That you sent angels and brought deliverance to Peter as the church prayed. There's nothing impossible with you or nothing too hard with you. Send deliverance today in the people that are standing today. Let deliverance come in their hearts, in their bones, in their minds, in their blood. Dissolve cancers and tumors. Lord, all diseases, we break the power of it now. Even in bones, even in Cancers, let them be dissolved. Even stomach issues, let it be dissolved. Let it be healed today. Father, we're asking you to heal all through this congregation. Let the healing virtue of Jesus flow. We break the power of all sickness, all disease, all infirmity, and we command it to go in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Be healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Be healed in your eyes. Be healed in your heart. Be healed in your muscles. Be healed in your body. Let your healing virtue flow now in the name of Jesus. For your glory, for your honor. We thank you, God. Your kingdom is with power, not in just word. Say this with me I believe I receive healing when the prayer of faith was prayed. I thank you, Father. I believe I receive it, and I shall have it. In Jesus' name, amen.